There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, and I'm a 27-year retired veteran of the NYPD, retired as a sergeant. I'm in that North Homicide Squad. Now, the case we've been covering has been, uh, you know, we've been covering it since the 27th when Cassie Cawley uh, first went missing. And it's been heartbreaking uh, right right from the very beginning, the story of a, a mom uh, in a custody Trade off, handing off their daughter uh, twice a month, uh, so that she could follow the family court edict, that she follows their rules, uh, and that she hand off the child they have in common to Marcus Spanavello, who is her uh, the baby's father, the baby four-year-old sailor. And right from the beginning of this case, we thought there was going to be some. Uh, foul play because of the way that this occurred, the way that uh, there were a lot of lies being told by Marcus Spanavello, and nothing really made sense with this case. But we were still very hopeful. We were hopeful that Cassie would be covered alive, we would be recovered alive, we'd find her alive, and that things would explain themselves. But in my experience as an investigator, my experience as a homicide sergeant, that's usually not the case. When things look bad, they are in fact are bad, you know. And in this case, was no exception. Uh, and the the body of Cassie Cawley, a Navarre woman who has been missing for about a week, was found in a shallow grave in Alabama Saturday evening. We all learned that we didn't learn that till Sunday. So the police in this case, and the FBI, and all the investigators who have been doing an amazing, amazing job, have been keeping things uh, very close to the vest. And there's reasons for that. There's investigative reasons. They want to make sure that uh, when they do pull the trigger and arrest the person responsible for Cawley's death, that it's going to stick. And he, or the person involved, and we believe it's um, Marcus Spanavello, don't give him any ammunition to uh, give to his defense attorney. So that's why the investigators have been closed-lipped. They've kept all the information. Uh, you know, the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office had been searching her since searching for her since the 27th. Uh, and Spanavello, Marcus, was arrested Saturday in Tennessee on charges that included tampering with evidence, giving false information concerning a missing person investigation, and destruction of evidence. We said early on in the investigation, one of the most important things in an investigation like this missing person or homicide investigation is the cell phone evidence. And that was no exception in this case. I'm going to play a little bit of the um, the news report on this, and we're going to go back to the Sheriff Johnson, who has been quite frank about his feelings in regards to this case. Say Cassie Carley's body was discovered in a shallow grave. Her ex-boyfriend was arrested yesterday. News Nation correspondent Janelle Ford is following the story tonight. And Janelle, we've been following this story all week. What else are we learning about what happened here? Well, Rudebe, there's been a lot of new details coming in in this case, and there's one piece of information, one tidbit that investigators are highlighting, and it's that Cassie Carley's ex has been completely uncooperative throughout this investigation. Cassie Carley, who's been missing now for about a week, um, we discovered her body while executing a search warrant in Alabama. It was in a, uh, a uh, barn in a shallow grave. Santa Rosa County Sheriff Bob Johnson sharing the sad update this afternoon, identifying Carly's ex-boyfriend Marcus Benavello as the prime suspect in her death. Since we've been dealing with him, he's been acting like a dirtbag. Spanavello was arrested Saturday in Tennessee and charged with tampering with evidence, giving false information concerning a missing person investigation and destruction of evidence, all in connection with Carly's case. 
Johnson says they're working to extradite him back to Florida and is expecting more charges to be filed following tomorrow's autopsy. He never cooperated at, at all with us um, and that goes a long way. I mean, you think about it, it's, it's your baby's mother and she's missing and you're not going to cooperate with authorities. That's kind of telltale. The 37-year-old mom was last seen Sunday at a parking lot in Navarre Beach on Florida's Gulf Coast, meeting up with her ex for a custody exchange of the couple's young daughter, Sailor. Then Carly vanished, leaving behind her car, purse, and other personal belongings. Her father reported her missing the next day. A weeks-long search followed. They went over 1,500 miles in this investigation, multiple search warrants on cars, phones, uh, houses. The discovery, a heartbreaking ending to the hunt for the missing mom. And her family posting to social media today, thanking everyone who volunteered to help with this search. And they're also holding a vigil in Florida for Cassie Carley tonight. You know, folks, one of the things that we expect today at some point, and perhaps in regards to this case, because the police have been extremely closed-lipped, uh, we expected the autopsy results today. And the autopsy, in fact, was to have occurred this morning. Um, that's April 4th, this morning. And But if it's if the police are consistent with their past behavior, they, put, they may not release the autopsy results until tomorrow. But one of the things that I fully expect, and I'm, I'm not one to just guess without any facts, but based on the demeanor of Sheriff Johnson and a lot of the information that we have, that this case is going to come back and be ruled as a homicide. And I think that we know uh, if it is, in fact, ruled as a homicide, that person you see on the screen is the one that's going to be charged. And Sheriff Johnson already said many things about this individual. What person would, if he is the baby's father, little um, sailor, four-year-old daughter that he has with Cassie, would be closed-lipped and would not cooperate at all with the police. Well, that's that screams out guilt. That screams guilt. And I know that the, the police have lots of other evidence implicating him. And um, we're, we're just, you know, they're waiting to, to match up the forensic evidence with the autopsy because they, they he's in custody right now. So they are not in any shape or form in a rush. They want to make sure they do everything correctly. I know it's um, sort of, we hear this all the time, they want to cross their T's and dot their I's, but that is so, so expensive. Excuse me, that is so, so important in a situation like this, that they take their time and they do a thorough uh, investigation and um, they make sure they do everything correctly. You know, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not a subscriber on our YouTube, please um, go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, or give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And if you want to be a member of the Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories YouTube family, you can see the folks in the chat in the green font. They're part of our YouTube family, and we appreciate all our channel members uh, explicitly. It's it's just uh, We've had so much, so much support from our channel members with this. I wanted to show you a little bit. Um, uh, Cassie's sister has been at the forefront of this case right from the beginning. She's been extremely brave. She's putting, she's put search parties together uh, to search for her sister. And it's been really so, uh, so important. And it's really hit the hearts of everyone. And I want to play a little bit of her sister. And you can see the pain that this family is in. Uh, losing their sister. Through tears, Rayanne Carley sharing that the search for her big sister is now over. They found Cassie. It's a heartbreaking end to a weeks-long hunt for the Florida mom whose body was found last night. We discovered her body while executing a search warrant in Alabama. It was in a, uh, a uh, barn in a shallow grave. Santa Rosa County Sheriff Bob Johnson sharing more details 
identifying Carly's ex-boyfriend, Marcus Spinavello, as their prime suspect in her disappearance and death. Since we've been dealing with them, he's been acting like a dirtbag. Spinavello was arrested Saturday in Tennessee and charged with tampering with evidence, giving false information concerning a missing person investigation and destruction of evidence. Johnson says they are working to extradite him back to Florida and is expecting more charges to be filed following tomorrow's autopsy. He never cooperated at, at all with us, um, and that goes a long way. I mean, you think about it, it's, it's your baby's mother, and she's missing, and you're not going to cooperate with authorities. That's kind of telltale. The 37-year-old mom was last seen Sunday at a parking lot in Navarre Beach on Florida's Gulf Coast, meeting up with her ex for a custody exchange of the couple's young daughter, Sailor. Then Carly vanished, leaving behind her car, purse, and other personal belongings. Her father reported her missing the next day. A weeks-long search followed. They went over 1,500 miles in this investigation, multiple search warrants on cars, phones, uh, houses. In the video, Rayanne thanking all the volunteers who helped look for her sister. Thank you guys so much for everything. Thank you. <laughs> She's coming home. And giving this update on Little Sailor. And she is safe. And we will be with her soon. And this evening, the family holding a vigil for Cassie at the same area where she was last seen, Ruta Bay. So, folks, heartbreaking there. Um, the only closure we have to this is, in fact, that they have found her body. They do have someone in custody. The person who is in custody, of course, uh, we said from minute one, is a predictable perpetrator on this. Um, her family had even said that uh, she had said, Carly had said to them, if something happens to me, uh, Marcus did it. And that is so telltale in cases like this. Um, to see, she knew that something, <coughs> excuse me, she knew that something bad was going to happen. And she told her family if it did happen, they knew who and what to look for. Um, you know, one of the things that the sheriff said, and um, he didn't say it just on the screen there, but he was asked questions in a prior press conference. And he was asked if they recovered the phone, uh, Cassie's cell phone. And in fact, they had. And I'm wondering if, in fact, the cell phone is what led them to that grave in, in Alabama because they they were able to find her and secure search warrants and collect the evidence uh, so that it could be used against. And you, you heard him referring to Marcus Spanavello as a dirtbag. So, you know, he, he clearly uh, gave his feelings toward this guy. And at one other point, he said, I hope he gets the needle. So, I, I mean, I think that's a telltale sign that the police and FBI have an extreme amount of evidence against him. And there's no doubt uh, he's going to be charged with this crime. Um, I think that everyone wants to thank the whole community, the family of uh, Cassie Cawley, and all the people that took part in that search. And everyone that, you know, we, we talk about if you see something, say something. Everyone that called in tips, everyone that may have seen something and reported it, you know, early on in this, uh, Marcus was uh, making a, um, text messages, at, utilizing her phone. I don't know if this specific one was, though this is probably from his phone. He's saying, Sailor is with me. She wanted to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere in Destin with Sailor. I told her I wouldn't let Sailor go like that. They give me an address and I take them to it. Yeah, cops already called me. They might call me again for more questions. If they do, I will apparently, everybody will be asking me that. So I'll just copy and paste this, what I told uh, your father. I mean, it's just, he's a very sloppy criminal too. That he, you know, he texts things that, um, that make him even more of a suspect. Here are some texts that um, Cassie's family believe was texted by Marcus, but utilizing her cell phone. I'm sorry, Carl was acting up, and I broke my phone. Marcus is working on it. I will stay at his place tonight. 
He is paying me money to do some stuff around his house. That clearly was not in the language of Cassie. And the family thought that Marcus was just, in fact, using her phone to try to throw off the investigation. And in no way was that that text, even though it was coming from her phone, was that her language. No, the screen is jumping all over the place. Another text message. Let me see if he can get this fixed and I'll call you. If that was her, why didn't she just call them then using his phone if something was wrong with her phone? So very sloppy way to try to misdirect the investigation. Uh, but it, it's, you know, we all know who the major suspect is. Um, Alicia Lloyd, when will we hear the results of the autopsy, do you think? I was thinking, Alicia, that the autopsy results would have been released today. However, as I stated previously, the police have been um, slow to release a lot of information in this case. So they can take their time because they'll know the information. They'll know the results uh, immediately. However, they may not release it to the public for a couple of days. And that's been consistent with their behavior. Uh, they didn't release the fact that they found Cassie uh, till a day later. Uh, we, we were live on the air on Sunday, and we had just heard about it while we were live on the air because it was breaking news. However, in fact, it had occurred the day before. So um, it, it's it's the information for a very good reason um, has not been released, has not been released quickly. And uh, the police department has a great reason to do that. Uh, and, you know, they want to keep all this information close close to the vest. I know you've heard that before. There was some, um, there was a lot of interviews with News Nation over the past few days. And you could see how resolute and um, tuned in the family was and urgently trying to find uh, Cassie. And just heartbreaking to watch, especially after the fact when we know what in fact occurred. I'm going to play a little bit of this. When you first when you first found out that uh, Cassie uh, could not be located. Now, again, for the audience just joining us, she on Sunday night around seven o'clock, she goes across the causeway in Navarre Beach to pick up her daughter. This was relatively normal, right? You guys, I mean, relatively normal to pick up her daughter on a Sunday night because um, her daughter was in her father's custody on the weekends. Do I have this correct? And then something went weekend. wrong. Can you kind of walk us through exactly what transpired? It was every other weekend and it was actually supposed to happen in Destin. It wasn't normal for her to be meeting him there. Um, Sometimes, rare, maybe once or twice a year, she had met him in Navarre recently because we understand that there's a family that would babysit often for Marcus when he had his daughter two days out of 14. And for those of you, uh, Marcus is who was named yesterday in the press conference by the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office. Marcus is uh, the four-year-old daughter of Cassie's father, uh, who is in Birmingham, Alabama. But we'll get into that here in, in just a few moments. There's a lot to this story. And so what was it like when, and when did you find out, all of you, when did you find out that Cassie had disappeared and, and what was that like? And where did your mind go when you originally heard the news that, that, she, was, that she was missing? Our father, you know, since she resides with him, he was the first immediate red flag when he, um, three hours later, and she still was not home. Uh, and he contacted me the next morning, still just so worrisome. And of course, I reached out to her friends. She is always in contact with her family and friends. Even during the exchange, she would have texted. So we immediately are... Our red flag was Marcus because she has always had some concern for her safety in general. But we know Cassie would have reached out to us yeah. if something was not looking right or suspicious. Yeah, she's she not would. like it at all. She's not like it. Mm -mm. So I, I wanna... we know beyond a shadow of a doubt she would not have left anywhere with Marcus, being in Navarre, her hometown where she grew up, and she could have called hundreds of people within a mile's radius to come and get her yes and this is and this and is her what, daughter 
has been concerning is because now I have heard, we heard yesterday out of the mouth of the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office about her purse being located. But what do you, what do we know about her phone? Because normally somebody goes missing. The first thing you do is you call them, you text them. Do you have any idea where we're not phone sure is? what has happened with her phone? We know that it wasn't in the purse. Um, we know that, I mean, we've all been calling and texting it since we, we realized what was started happening Monday evening. Um, and it's gone straight to voicemail. Her messages, her text messages went from blue to green, which if you know Apple phones, you know that that means something, something changed that shouldn't have changed. Um, we're, um, we're really confident in the Santa Rosa Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Department. Um, we feel like they're working really hard um, and they're protecting whatever information that they may have because um, it's in the best interest of finding Cassie right away and prosecuting whoever's responsible for this disappearance. We, I have a, I have a lot of questions to ask in the next, in the next few minutes. I know you guys have to go resume search efforts. You have places to yes. be and you're taking time out of your day to, to join us. And again, the reason that the family is here folks and friends of Cassie. Folks heartbreaking. As we discussed this before the family was so resolute to putting together search teams to fight, try to find Cassie. One of the things that, you know, we talk about the um, investigative checks and the investigative checklists that the police have, they obviously knew uh, all about Marcus Spanavello, and they knew that they had a child in common, of course. So some of the things that they should have and, and would have access to is the family court records. What was the um, history in family court? What was the situation with the custody of four-year-old sailor? Was Marcus paying his child support? Were there any domestic incident reports prior to this? It was clear that the family was afraid of this guy and they suspected him of being a dangerous uh, threat to their sister. So was this in fact uh, recorded anywhere? Did the police have any records of this? Some of the other things that we, the police were relying on in this case and relying on, we say, and ad nauseum again, if you see something, say something. Tips. They probably got hundreds and hundreds of tips. And every single tip you get when you're an investigator must be investigated. In fact, major police departments, large police departments, they actually assign a detective to the tips log. And the detective will take in all the tips and then either a boss or that detective will assign tips to different investigators and they'll send them out and they'll see what the results are of the tip and if it bore any investigative fruit. So that's so important. And they probably interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on this case. The results of those interviews, all of that stuff is so important. I believe that there was... Um, Marcus had a friend, and we don't even know much about a girlfriend right now that babysat four-year-old little sailor. How important do you think the interview of that person is? I think it's pretty damn uh, important. So there, those are other things that we don't, in fact, have any knowledge of. Andrew, we all have children. Everything we do is about our kids. How does this suspect sleep at night in his cell? Obviously, he's got... Um, I was obviously he's got issues, this guy. All right. Tommy O'Brien, I was hoping she would be alive. We were all Tommy. We were all, excuse me, Tammy. Tammy, we were all hoping, of course, that Cassie would be found alive. Uh, do people like this think they're going to get away with it? Carol Chartier. Um, you know, something I think their rage and their psychosis is so advanced that they don't. They, they think about getting away with it, but it's not the most important thing to them. The act is do, is the most important thing to them. So one of the things when I'm why I'm going over some of these investigative steps is because I think the police, the um, the sheriff's office, and of course the Santa Rosa County Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office and the FBI and all the other police agencies that worked on this case, I think they have a solid direction. Obviously someone is under arrest, but I think when the results of the autopsy 
Um, Justice uh, Jenny, no, uh, I just actually was talking about that this second. Um, has the autopsy report come out yet? So far, uh, it has not come out yet. And I had mentioned earlier on in this broadcast that if the police are being consistent with the way they do things, they've taken their time in releasing things. They didn't uh, release the fact that they had found Cassie till a day after they had actually found her. So, um, uh, Andrew, we must commend the police. They worked fast. Unfortunately, just could not find her alive. Uh, I've, you know, given the police kudos during this entire investigation. They've done a fantastic job. Uh, when we listened to Sheriff Johnson, he spoke about how they traveled over 1,500 miles serving search warrants, collecting evidence, searching for um, Marcus. And in fact, he was arrested in Tennessee by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So one of the good things about this case is that, yes, in fact, he's on ice right now. He's not going anywhere. So they can build this case. They can build a strong, strong case against him. And they don't have to worry about apprehending him or finding him. He's uh, he, he's he's incarcerated right now. Tammy O'Brien, yes, Michelin, thank God, sell is safe. May she go to a safe, loving home. Um, Vera Luna, only update from his court appearance so far, Spanabella refuses to waive extradition, saying he needs to make sure his daughter is taken care of first, per Stephanie Langston of WKRN. I think, Vera Luna, that was expected. He was uncooperative with every other thing. Why would you expect him uh, to waive extradition? So he's it'll take them about 30 days to get him extradited uh, to... Um, Santa Clara, Santa Clara County, and have him appear in court there. But in the meantime, he's still incarcerated. He's not going anywhere, and the police continue uh, to build their case, to build the strongest case possible against him. Uh, Rose, Arale Rose Arellanus at Bill Cannon, I think there's going to be a gag order in this case to protect their evidence. Well, I think that they've been... Um, quiet about the evidence that they have. Um, I think that that's been to protect this investigation, but I also think that the press is going to want to know a lot of things about this. Specifically, everyone wants to know what the results of this autopsy are, and we're all holding on. Sarah Mansfield, the court system needs to be more careful when giving a parent visitation rights. He was uh, $6,000 on back child support, and her brother stated Marcus had previously put a gun to Cassie's head. Sarah, you know, uh, I agree with you, and I think in these cases, um, there should have been a domestic incident report. There should have, should have been some kind of complaint report, some kind of criminal court report. And if that's true, he could be arrested for menacing. You know, but uh, she may have not have reported it. You know, Cassie may not have reported that incident, but instead uh, told her brother about it. And that's not the law. Uh, Andrew, ladies must speak up when you're involved in a domestic violence. Don't let it grow. It is a devastating outcome. If you can run, run far away. Uh, Moonlight View, I pray anyone doing a child visitation exchange with a hostile party they always have another adult present in a visible public place and such. I agree. I agree. Uh, Agnes Lamb, the Sheriff Johnson, indicated that they did recover her phone. In fact, the charge of destruction of evidence, he sort of slipped out that that was the phone he attempted to destroy. So they did recover the phone. Is it possible that the phone is what led them to this shallow grave in Birmingham, in, in Alabama, where she was recovered inside a barn. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we have to wait till, you know, there's a lot of waiting in these cases for everyone, but we have to wait to see what the outcome of this autopsy is. And then they can marry the uh, evidence they have with the results of the autopsy. 
here in Florida, things can get taken out of context. What do you most want to either correct or the world to know about this story as it continues to unfold? Um, you know, we're trying not to let the misinformation get out there. And I think I've seen a lot of people who take something from three days ago and are applying it today. This is a constantly fluid changing situation that we as Cassie's friends and family are really just doing the best we can. Luckily, one of Cassie's great friends, Sam Graves, has um, passed law enforcement. We've, it's amazing the village that Cassie has built that have come together and are literally just putting all of our heads together and sharing and searching and thinking and praying that she gets to come home. Yes. Um, and I just want it to be known too that my sister was in the best place. She was so happy and hopeful for the future. And there is no reason to believe she would ever choose to do something like this on her own ever. And she yeah. would never, ever leave her daughter ever. The only time Cassie has not had her child during her custody time, which is 85% is when Marcus has taken her previously against the law. And we've had to get the law involved to get this baby back two weeks later. This has progressed. This has been escalated, and we want this to be a lesson for every future Cassie, that this needs to stop, that this is not okay. It's becoming all too often, and we're not having it. We're not having it. Yeah, she disappears right right before he's got to pay. We will not be quiet. Yeah. We will not, yeah. yeah. Right before he's got to pay. pay. All the attorney's fees. Like, it's child support. money, too. Yeah, it's just sad. What is the plan for today. I know that there have been routine search efforts. So folks, that was the family. Uh, Nolene Price, he owed a lot of money in child support. That should have been a red flag and someone should have done something then looked into it. He got away with paying money and tried to get away with murder. I believe it was premeditated that he wasn't going to give up the girl. He may intended to flee the country while bring his RV to exchange Sight, not not his car only. Uh, Nolene, you know something? I think you know you could be correct. Only the police know all the information. They have all the investigative information that we're not privy to right now. So there, I have no doubt um, that they're going to put a tremendous case together against Marcus Spanavello. Andrew, yes, I attended a DV complaint about three years ago. I removed the lady, but the husband. Shot her 15 times in the head. Saddest day of my police career. He went to his wife at mom's house and shot her. Look, there's, um, that's why domestic violence, uh, the way the police respond, there is almost um, no discretion anymore. Certain things happen and the police must make an arrest. And these are partly the reasons. Many times the police don't have all the information. Uh, for example, in this case, I don't believe they had all the information because someone, uh, a significant other or your baby's father puts a gun to your head. I don't know if there was ever a report. The brother knew about it, but did the police know about it? We don't know. We don't know if the police ever knew about that. Uh, you know, it's just when you see the face of this beautiful woman, it's so tragic that this occurred. And, um, you know, God bless her family. All we can do now is pray for her family and that little girl, four-year-old girl, Sailor, who I have no doubt will have a great family to go to. However, now she she lost her mom, you know, and just tragic, tragic events. Uh, and in these instances, folks, you know, you really have to praise uh, you have to praise the police. They, they did an unbelievable job in this case. Just amazing. Uh, and I have no doubt that these guys from the 27th on haven't gotten a wink of sleep, haven't been home to see their families. I've worked around the clock on this case. And that's the police nationally. That's what the police do. You know, they get a case like this, good people like this. They work it. They work it until the case is solved. They work it until someone who's responsible for this heinous crime, uh, is held responsible. And that looks like what's going to happen with this case. I believe that, you know, he's going to be held responsible. 
you know, he's definitely going to be held responsible. He's he's incarcerated right now. Uh, so Marcus is, is going to be held responsible. And everyone's, again, pointing the finger at him. Um, and he's in he's in a good place. He's in jail. And well, we should know in the next, I would say the next 24 hours, the results of this autopsy. And I know that the police, based on their past activity, are in no rush to release those because I think it's clearly going to say that um, the cause of death was is homicide and the manner of death, but we don't know that yet. We don't know, was it blunt trauma? Was it strangulation, asphyxiation, gunshot? We don't know. We don't know that. And that's what the autopsy is for. And we'll find that out uh, sooner than you think. This is a picture on the screen of uh, Marcus's trailer being pulled by his truck. And in the parking lot also is Cassie's car. And that was taken by someone that was on vacation and heard about this case and turned it over to the police. And that's what we mean when you say you see something, say something. It so, so helps uh, the investigation. And uh, it's just, um, you know, this case is uh, very sad. Um, it's just, you know, it was a predictable outcome to what we believed had occurred. Um, Tony, is that Tony the night owl? When something like this happens, it's not about money or custody. It's about rejection and those who can't abide by it. You know, Tony, I don't, uh, there's probably a lot of rage here, you know. Uh, Julie LaRosa, Sergeant Bill. There was another story this morning. Mom went to pick up her nine-year-old son from the father, found out he shot his son and himself during another custody battle. You know, horrendous. You know something, these custody battles, they're horrendous. The emotion involved, and I think that's what causes this rage, the emotion involved in a relationship that was once love has now turned to hate and anger and disdain. And I think that's where a lot of these violent incidents come in these domestic violence cases. Um, Venus girl, rejection, loss of control over the woman, and the way to control is the child is the child after that and the money. Venus girl, very, very good point. Um, look, a lot of um, these custody battles, lots of times you hear men saying, oh, the court precludes me from seeing my child except four times a month, which a good father would find to be not enough times to see your child, you know. Uh, but, you know, we understand why the court rules, usually on the on the side of the mother in regards to custody, unless there's something mentally uh, disturbed about the mother. But um, Rosemary J., the money had a lot to do with it. He owed three thousand in back child support. Someone else said six thousand dollars. I don't know what the truth is. Um, Tony, the night owl. What we guys are having a good chat in the chat room. Uh, rejection is the motivation uh, behind this. You know, look, many people out there. Uh, live in extremely uh, volatile relationships. And that's where why there are the police, there are the courts, and there is family court, and there is a way to address that. Um, Venus Gal, my state is almost always 50-50, and there are times it definitely shouldn't be. Yeah, uh, Alicia B is claiming he owes 10000 Someone said six. Someone said three. Let's... Uh, satisfied to say that he owed, he was in arrears in child support. Um, Serene Living, by by me, the judge says it's been two years since you last reported violence, so he deserves a second chance. Mine found my address recently, although I live in hiding and gave it to his his knock mom. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Serene Living. Um, Andrew, yes, when a man thinks he's losing control, he will turn to violence to make a point. All they have to do is calm down, walk away, think rashly, 
give the woman space and you'll see it much clearer. I think you're somewhat oversimplifying it, Andrew. These situations are very complicated, although domestic violence is something that cannot be tolerated, definitely cannot be tolerated. Uh, Serene living, the system failed me and my kids. So I left everything, clothes, alimony, child support, let him think he can, uh, he has after being abusive. Um, Guys, one of the things I think we'll definitely do a follow-up show in regards to this is on domestic violence, because I think we as former law enforcement, uh, we can help protect uh, you women out there from would-be domestic violence violators. Uh, Pockets full of stones. What can women, men do to protect themselves in a dangerous situation? Well, the number one thing you must do is to leave, to get the hell out of there, to get away from the threat, to get away from the potential violence. And then I realize I'm oversimplifying. It's not that simple. However, when you think about losing your life to someone that potentially could be extremely violent, that's the first thing you must do is get away from the threat. And then we can start talking the family, professionals, the police, and get protection. Keep us away. Get putting in a, uh, a location where the abuser doesn't know where you are. And then start proceed, proceeds, proceedings against this person in a court of law. And see to it, you, you have to protect yourself. That's the most important thing. Um, Arctic Cat, such a prevalent problem because of Gabby and Cassie, Susan, Maya, and many others, it's finally becoming known. Uh, Arctic Cat, I 100% agree with you. This is a huge problem nationally, has been a huge problem for years. I think in the past few years, Law enforcement has done a better job with this in the past 30 years, 20 years. Um, Lieutenant Pete, Bill, that's why domestic violence calls for service and family disputes are one of the most dangerous radio runs for police officers. 100% Lieutenant Pete, uh, That's there's no doubt. That's Lieutenant Pete Pranzo, NYPD, Harlem Raiders, a legendary cop, and he, he knows the job as anyone else in the chat here. Uh, Tony, the night owl, I remember a case where an abusive husband went to jail for five years. The ex-wife was not informed of his release. He went to her house, shot her and sat on the curb waiting for the cops. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't predict these things. I mean, you can follow the law and try to help people and arrest the offender, but you can't be a 24 hour security guard on folks that are threatened. People have to protect themselves, you know. These situations are horrendous. And think of how many people, more women than men, are involved in these situations across the country. Goldheart, when a man seems too good to be true, he probably is. It takes a long time to get to know someone's real character. That's for sure, uh, Goldheart. Uh Tammy Donaldson, God bless all law enforcement involved. I agree, Tammy. They did an amazing job. Navy vet, a heart for the for the broken. I escaped my DVX and stay in hiding. However, he killed a very close friend of mine and her husband. Now I watch closely for his release, but I feel guilt over my friend. You know, Navy vet, there's so many of these stories that are just heartbroken and that you folks in the chat, some of you guys have lived some horrors in your life. And I really applaud the fact that you're you're trying to go on with your life and grow and learn and uh, become a better person, even though you have some of this horror in your past. Uh, CF Cantagallo, the children are at risk as well when things escalate. Just had the murder-suicide of a dad and a nine-year-old boy in Florida of a couple. Yeah, I just heard about that case. It's a horrible situation. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, subscribe, hit that like button, give us a thumbs up. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and you want to join our YouTube family, you can see the folks with the green font in the chat. 
Photo Flies Photography. She's one of them. She's one of our channel members. Thank you for those kind words. It helps immensely when you have a support system. Photo Flies Photography, 100%. I think that domestic violence victims should probably have encounter groups and uh, go and have talks with other domestic violence victims so they know that they're not alone. Uh, I think that's very important. Uh, Andrew, when a woman marries a police officer, you marry his stress and his PTSD. Unfortunately, you and the family need to go. But continuous counseling to counter the PTSD and the emotions. You know, we're going to do follow-up shows to this because I think it's so, so important. Uh, we're going to do some shows with domestic violence victims. We did one a couple of weeks ago. And I think it was very helpful for the folks, um, the folks in our YouTube, folks in our chat, folks that are watching the show. I think it's so important to see what other people have gone through and see that they overcame it, and so and to see that you're not alone, and others have been in this situation, and and have gotten out of it, and have lived a happy, healthy life afterwards. So I think that's important to know those things. And, um, of course, we at Police Off the Cuff are trying to help you guys through our police experience and through uh, through this show. Joe Murray is an attorney at law. You can contact him, jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray uh, is a fantastic uh, defense attorney. He was also a police officer for 15 years. If you want Joe to be in your corner, you can email him at jmurray-law.com. But you can get him on his cell phone at 718-514-3855 or joe at jmurray-law.com. He's a great supporter of this show. We're huge fans of Joe Murray. We love Joe Murray. Uh, the secret of quickly hiring the best police officers before your competition does. With an extremely limited job candidate pool, law enforcement agencies have to quickly identify and hire qualified police officers before another agency does. That's why nearly 70 U.S. agencies have updated their hiring process to include iDetect, a fast, affordable, non-invasive, unbiased, and automated lie detector. It accurately identifies lies by watching the eyes. Uh, Converis CEO Todd Mickelson has told many stories about how Converis has helped people and detected deception. You can contact them at Converis.com or call them at one. 801-331-8840. That's Converis. Uh, we have a new attorney that has um, signed on with us, and um, his name is John Beatty. And John Beatty is a retired sergeant. John Beatty is a renowned personal injury attorney. He also retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. For over 15 years, John has litigated some of the largest accident and malpractice cases and verdict settlements in the country. Despite the shutdown incurred during COVID-19, John recovered nearly $20 million in settlements for a small number of accident victims. He uses the best retired detective investigators on every case to help bring quick and favorable outcomes for his clients. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North and supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beatty litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beatty, 917-797-9520. I think we have enough attorneys here, guys. So if anyone gets in trouble, we got attorneys uh, as part of the police off the cuff family and they're, they're on the air with us. And, uh, I know that John Beatty wants to be a guest on the show, and I said I think that would be great because not only is he a successful attorney, but he's a retired NYPD sergeant, which is uh, a tremendous thing. Um, serene living, even worse, photophiles photography is when judges grant custody and full visitation to people like that. I proved abuse, and they said he had rights, and my kids were assaulted again. Some of these stories that you guys that I hear are just, uh, they're, they're, they're horrendous. Uh, it just that we hear judges maybe make the same mistakes all the time. I know judges have parameters that they have to abide by, but um, it's, 
it's just um, a horrible situation. We hear all these domestic violence incidents, uh, and it, it's it's horrible. Uh, Deborah Barron, her sister said his license was suspended for non-payment. He was driving around with no license. He had a deadline date to make payments he owed. Uh, I don't know if, in fact, that's true. Um, I would imagine the family's probably up on this case uh, more than anyone else is. Photo flies photography. It isn't that simple. I share kids with my ex-husband who was on probation for a domestic violence incident with me, and he still got some custody and is a narcissistic. It's it's He's a narcissist. It's a subtle thing. Uh, yeah, and you have to live with it, though, um, which is the horrible thing. You know, it's it's a horrible thing to have to live with these uh, these decisions by these family court judges that may put you in harm's way. Uh, um, C, C.F. Cantangelo, the children are at risk as well when things escalate. Just had a murder-suicide. Yeah, we, we've heard about that case today numerous times during this broadcast. Uh, infamous truth teller. I'm a domestic violence survivor, and I would love to tell my story. Very passionate at getting this to be a regular conversation. Infamous truth teller, stay you know, with us. You, you got our email, policeoffthecuff1 at gmail.com. Uh, you can email us. Um, Arctic Cat, I lived in it for 25-plus years, and because we worked with law enforcement and medically, he was always protected and given information to counteract our escapes. I've been out 20 years. I see more every day. I'm blessed. I'm glad you're blessed, Arctic Cat. Um, it's This is a horrendous situation. Let's get back to um, um, Cassie's case here. You know, again, we're, we commiserate with the family. We, we mourn with the family. And we think what could have been done to have pre- prevented um, this horrendous, which appears to be a murder. What could have been done to prevent it? That's what we got to think about for the future. Uh, how do we prevent uh, the, the next Cassie? How, how do we do that? You know, um, how, how do we prevent it? it? It's 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 right in our face. Uh, Cassie Carley. How do we how do we prevent the next incident? The next Cassie Carley? Because you know, there's going to be another one. We covered the Maya Malete case, right? Horrendous, right? They've still never recovered her body. Uh, Karen Drum, it's so clear how tight-knit this family is. Every time I see them, I want to cry. Yeah, they they absolutely are. Uh, my partner, Phil Grimaldi, just texted, family court protocols need to be updated based on cases like this. 100%, Phil. Uh K.H. Walker, hi, everyone. I was a family lawyer for 23 years. Did not lose a client, thank God. Had a bad dad break into my house and tear it apart. I mean, there's a million stories out there. Uh, Marilyn Mineta, good to see you, Marilyn. I care about women. I was in DV, and I want to tell the world about my story because there's so much out there for DV victims. Help us out there for them, 100%. Uh, Beck. Becky uh, GGB, my friend was in a domestic violence relationship for 10 years. and She still has to share her kids with the narcissist dad. She always says there will be a death, but no one listens to her. That's scary. You know, that's very scary that uh, that could in fact happen. Uh, Jakey Five. Uh, it was that Jackie Five. Take someone with you and meet at 2 p.m. in a busy public place as standard ordered by the courts, in my opinion. How about, even better, how about meeting in front of the desk at a police facility? How about that? I used to do that all the time in New York City. People would meet and exchange the child right in front of the desk. And then also, if the person returning the child was late, that could be documented, too, by the desk officer. So, uh Andrew, it's a tough question, Sergeant. How do we prevent the next DV or the next Cassie? Well, diligence in regards to the family, in regards to the potential victim, 
in regards to following the law in regards for family court to realize that these are, are volatile, dangerous situations. Uh, that's how we could do the next one. Phil Grimaldi, why does it seem so common sense that this case should have been prevented? Yeah, Phil, I agree. It should have been prevented, but um, there was a lot of warning signs, and many of them, I guess, went unheeded. And, uh, you know, it's scary, guys, when I read the chat and I see how many of you have been in uh, domestic violence incidents. Scary, you know, and uh, it just shows you how prevalent this crime is, and it is a crime, and how much of a better job, not just law enforcement, social workers, family courts, court workers, teachers, right? Mandatory reporters. Who are the mandatory reporters for child abuse? You know, teachers, social workers, doctors, uh, anyone that comes in contact should be mandatory reporters also if they see a domestic violence or a potential domestic violence incident, you may save someone's life. You know, you just may. Uh, photo f flies photography. Thank you for reading. Um, wait, I missed that. There we go. Thank you for reading our comments. It puts life to our stories where we feel so insignificant and hopeless when we can't get help. Well, you're not insignificant. You're not hopeless and you do have meaning and we do care about you. And that's one of the reasons we do this show is um, to try to help people, you know. Police off the cuff to make this regular conversation so we can hit the younger generation, like high school age, so they can be able to identify unhealthy relationships. You know, infamous truth teller, I used to teach college. For 10 years I did, and actually all the kids were inner city kids. And they thought it was pretty cool to have a homicide sergeant teaching them and, you know, I really liked the kids a lot. And a lot of them almost thought like domestic violence was just part of growing up. When they watched Ray Rice on video knock his wife out in an elevator in a hotel and just throw her over his shoulder, they thought that was okay. I couldn't believe it. I said to them, that's not okay. Not only did he hit her, he hit her hard enough that he knocked her out. How is that okay? No, that's a crime. And of course, society turned against of which, as they should have, Ray Rice, and said, no, he's done in the NFL. No one punches their wife and knocks them out and just goes on with their life like things are just okay. Horrible. And we have to let people know that. Uh, Nolene Price, I lost my kids to domestic violence. Uh, child welfare placed my son with the father who abused him, and I got him back. But I had to deal with DV with the son. My girl eight while in care with child welfare was uh, sexually abused. I was awarded, uh, I, I don't, I can't really read that amount of money. Is that 4,500 or 2,000 of my son? I felt that the kids, while in custody of child welfare under the act, you don't get the money for the serious harm and the failings of family court and the social system. Love, okay, forward to your chat on this topic. Look forward. So today someone is making a Cassie Foundation, which I think uh, is good. It's look, um, we can we can all learn from this. You know, folks, I, I went much longer uh, today than I than I had intended to. This is a a, a situation that we're going to do more shows on this, and I think it's really important to do shows on domestic violence with former domestic violence victims. Uh, last week we had someone on that was tremendous and. Her story was tremendous. And we're going to do more shows like that because I can see you guys are crying out for it. And uh, if you're crying out for it, just a small segment of the population in this chat watching the show, how is the rest of society dealing with domestic violence? Folks, I hope that uh, we all got something out of this show today. Uh, I was hoping that we would have the autopsy results. Uh, back for a Cassie, but that's not to be. I'm sure they they should be back. We're hoping as soon as possible, but potentially uh, by tomorrow. But as you could see, um, this is such a volatile topic. It's such an important topic. And we're going to cover it again on Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Story. So 
Till the next time we meet, be safe. Uh, and I'm Bill Cannon signing off from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. God bless. One episode, just ain't enough.